재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Some years ago I started calling myself Ginger Peter Sherlock Rosemary Emmanuel The Archbishop of Canterbury You may know me better as The Real Slim Shady Rumoured to be the new signing for Westminster and the Thames. And I just love to ride horses. But only if the Banjo Union Bolt has been corrected. First chapter. It is time again for first chapter. We read you an excerpt from a different book every Sunday morning, usually from the exposition. Today, I'll be reading from Don Lee's short story, The Lone Night Cantina, from the short story collection, Yellow. Don Lee is a third-generation Korean-American who spent most of his childhood in Tokyo and Seoul. He has received many awards, including the O. Henry Award, the Pushcart Prize, and the American Book Award. In addition to Yellow, he has written three novels, Country of Origin, Rack and Ruin, and The Collective. The Collective was praised by the Boston Globe as, quote, hilarious, winning, and smoothly told. In the Lone Night Cantina, we meet a Korean-American database programmer from Silicon Valley who just turned down a marriage proposal and is trying on a new persona at the faux cowboy bar. The Lone Night Cantina by Don Lee The Lone Night Cantina was not a real cowboy bar. In those places, imagined Annie Young, in those roadside joints outside of Cheyenne or Amarillo, just off a two-lane highway with pickups made in the good old U.S. of A, parked in the dirt lot, The men angled their sweat-stained stetsons over the eyes and were the picture of stoic reserve. They stood leaning the small of their backs against the counter, an elbow crooked behind for support. Pelvis swung out, a boot crossed at the ankle to touch the floor with a dusty, permanently curled toe. Once in a while, a cowboy removed the camel dangling from the corner of his mouth, flicked some ashes and raised his beer for a slow swig, condensation from the bottle leaving a wet imprint on his jeans. But otherwise, there was no movement, no justification for the odd sense of expectancy and danger in the bar. The feeling that with a single misguided look, anything could happen. You're dreaming, Annie's sister Evelyn had told her. This lonesome cowboy thing, it's all a myth. It's something straight out of the movies. At 38, Annie was old enough to know that her sister was right. And although she also knew that the only real cowboy who had ever set foot in the Lone Night Cantina was its owner, Rob Wilson, and he was too much the gentleman to wear his hat with the big scoop brim indoors, the knowledge had not stopped her from coming here for four nights in a row. Despite its location in Rosarita Bay, which was as suggestive of the American West as a piña colada, despite the fact that the bar was usually dead quiet, lucky to draw the handful of people it had this Friday night, the place possessed, as she had tried to explain to Evelyn, the right feel. 
The bridles and ropes hanging from the walls, the jukebox stacked with the best of the country and western standards, the long oak bar counter smoothed down in warps where forearms had rested to cradle drinks, the small framed photograph of Rob during his rodeo days, chasing a calf on his horse, swinging a flat horn loop over his head. Everything gave Annie the impression that, at least for a few hours, she was where she thought she belonged, in the cheating heart world of Loretta Lynn and Patsy Cline songs, in one of those rotted wood, corrugated tin, hole-in-the-wall, spit-and-sawdust saloons in the desert, which had a screen door that banged too hard, but no one bothered to fix. Look at this face. Rob Wilson said, laying the daily world news on the bar counter so Annie could see. He tapped the picture of Dolores Hoots when she was 15, beaming with honey-eyed innocence for the high school photographer. The adjacent picture was of an old woman, hair shock white, eyes ablaze and teeth bared in a demented snarl. The headline read, Father locks daughter in basement for 30 years for necking. Believe that? said Rob. Maybe in a backwoods town with a Baptist preacher for a father, but in Chicago, a respected lawyer? I guess you can never tell about people, Annie said. Rob nodded. Guess not. She laughed. You don't really believe these things, do you? No, of course not. I know it's all made up. I was just, you know, flipping through it. Somebody left it behind. They both looked at the pictures again. How'd they find her? Annie asked finally. It says the old man had a heart attack, just keeled over in the office on his desk, and when they went to the house, they saw the door to the basement was locked. She couldn't even talk, had her own, you know, feces smeared on her and scars all over from clawing herself. They said she'd probably been in there since right before her 16th birthday. 30 years in a soundproof room with only a toilet and a cot for company. Jesus, Annie said, ratcheting up her howdy-doody accent. No wonder she looks like she's got jalapenos for brains. It's a shame, huh? Such a pretty girl. All she did was kiss a boy in a car. There's some story that all had to do with the mother running off with another man. Annie feigned exasperation. That's always the story, ain't it? The fault always goes to the woman when the man's to blame. You gotcha, Rob said. He squinted at Dolores Hoots once more, blew out a silent whistle, and pantomimed a shiver of blood-curdling proportions, then pointed to Annie's empty glass. Ready for another? Sure. She watched him fix her tequila sunrise, his hands creases on the enlarged knuckles like rough grain on dried wood were surprisingly graceful, something Annie had noticed when she came to the bar for the first time on Tuesday. Rob had been polite but restrained with her then, called her ma'am, and questioning only what she wanted to drink. He opened up to her once she indicated she wouldn't mind a bit of chatter, asking if that was him in the framed photograph if he'd been in the rodeo. Well, I guess I did a little riding here and there, he had said. Annie told him she was in town to visit her sister, Evelyn, who taught math at Longfellow Elementary School, and he had said, 
Hey, my son had her as his teacher, I think. Miss Young, right? He gave her a drink on the house, introduced her to his wife when Paquita stopped in later. And on each of the three nights that followed, he treated Annie more and more like a regular, warming up to her without the need to inquire why she was there, alone. A Korean-American database programmer from Silicon Valley who had never been anywhere near a dude ranch, yet who was wearing a shiny gray buckskin cowboy boots and a red sateen western-cut shirt tucked into tight jeans, who was talking like a she-hick buckaroo and who was sporting a bleached blonde hairdo that looked for all the world like a plastic stalagmite. Well, you thought I'd be waiting up when you came home last night. You'd been out with all the boys and you ended up half tired. Annie's sister, however, was not being as tolerant as Rob. Earlier that night, Annie had gone into the dining room where Evelyn was grading tests and had asked, How's this look? She spun a full turn on her toe to show off her outfit. You're going there again, Evelyn said evenly. Of course I am. Do I look all right? She went to the hutch, slid a stack of plates inside, and bending at the knees a bit, examined her face in the mirror between the shelves. She yawned her mouth open to trace on lipstick, then pursed her lips on a tissue. She drawled in a lollygagging accent vaguely reminiscent of the Southwest, but sometimes slanting toward Dixie Southern and other times dipping into the folk talk of the Appalachian Hills, ending her lines with a lilt, as if the tenuous nature of life required that even the simplest statement be posed as a question. You know what I found out? You see these big ugly gums sticking out here? Whenever I smile... Look, if I just put the tip of my tongue like this on the wolf of my mouth when I smile, see, no more pink goobers flashing like a retard jackrabbit. Evelyn, her patience running dry, had said, I thought all of this was, well, cute at first, but don't you think it's gotten a little out of hand? Primping her hair, Annie sang, I can't fathom what you mean, honey. Will you stop talking like that for just one second, please? Lowering her hairbrush, Annie had stared at her sister, thinking how little they resembled each other. Evelyn, younger by four years, small, slender, and contained. Annie, with her wide face, her plentiful behind, her breasts so full she was often mistaken for fat when her waist had never been larger than 26 inches. If you don't want me here, I'll leave, okay? She said to Evelyn. Sighing, her sister slumped back in her chair. Oh, come on, Annie. You can stay here as long as you want. You know that. It's just that I'm worried about you, that's all. This Dolly Parton thing is really strange. Annie wet her finger in her mouth and pasted down an eyebrow. Dolly Parton sucks dogs. Try Kitty Wells, Tammy Wynette even. Anyone but that cow, she said. Is this... Uh, are you doing this because of Bobby? 
Bobby Cho was the systems engineer Annie had been living with for the past three years. She had yet to tell Evelyn that Bobby had proposed to her and that she had turned him down, after which he accepted a long-standing job offer from a company in Bellevue, Washington. No, Ev, it's not because of Bobby. I told you, I'm not busted up about it. Then why'd you break up with him all of a sudden? What did he do? I always thought Bobby was so nice. You and everyone else. She was sick of hearing how great Bobby was. Gentle, sweet, adoring, solvent, not terrible looking. Just let me have my fun, okay? Annie said. Evelyn regarded her ruefully and said, Your hair? It looks awful. She had bleached it blonde a week ago, the evening after she had taken Bobby to San Francisco International for his flight to Seattle. The next day, no longer able to stand their empty apartment in San Jose, she had decided to visit Evelyn, and driving over the hill on Highway 71, she picked up a country station, transmitting weekly from Salinas on the car radio. They were broadcasting crazy as part of an all-Patsy Cline special. Annie had heard country music before, but never with this pure, deep voice, insistence of truth at exactly the right note. But never with this pure, deep voice, insistence of truth, which, at exactly the right moment, would crack and quaver and break your heart. Walking after midnight came on afterward. Then, I fall to pieces and lonely street and as annie listened on through the squawk and static constantly having to wobble the radio dial she felt as if she had been hit by religion there it was she marveled there it was every bane of life imaginable dreaming hurting leaving and lying cheating missing drinking loving and crying mawkish and melodramatic but the pain was real. Today I read from Don Lee's The Lone Night Cantina. And the tracks we played in between were Don't Come Home A-Drinking by Loretta Lynn, followed by American Girls by Counting Crows. This week's quote is from The Night Watch by Sarah Waters, our roundtable author of the week. Why is it we can never love the people we ought to? Once again, that was from The Night Watch by Sarah Waters. We have arrived at the end of our show. To learn more about next week's topic, please visit our website. I'm Jamie Chang. Have a wonderful week and I'll be back next Sunday at 10 a.m. with another brand new installation of The Bookend. Taking us out is Remind Me by Brad Paisley and Carrie Underwood.